The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the Recruiting Trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Everyone, I'm Brandon Marcel. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Auburn, of course, lost to Georgia. You guys all know that. I'm not going to go through the game and you know go through, try to dissect Texas and O's and everything because, uh, to be quite honest, it, it's just um, it's repetitive at this point discussing Auburn's offense and what's wrong with it. And we're we're going to go over what's wrong with it today, and we're going to go on, go through the Auburn football program in depth today. But this is how we're going to do it. I'm not going to do it just by talking through it myself and bringing up concerns. I'm going to just answer your questions. So I, I took to Twitter. I took to our message board on the Bodegeta at auburn.247sports.com to ask for your questions. And I, I got inundated with questions. And um, some of them are repetitive. So, But some of them I want to kind of get into deeper, even though some of these are repetitive, some of them come through a different angle. I know a lot of you are upset after Auburn lost to, to Georgia. You know, 21 to 14, it was 21 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, Auburn's offense was dead in the water for the first three quarters. First time ever in the Gus Malzahn era here at Auburn that the offense has been held scoreless for the first three quarters of a game. Uh, in fact, facing Georgia, it was six straight quarters for Auburn without scoring points dating back to last season. It's terrible. There's no there's no excuse for it. And so Gus Malzahn failed to 6-15 and 15 against Auburn's three major rivals, the, the teams you have to beat every season to win a championship. And that's Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. Auburn now two and six against Georgia under Gus Malzahn against Georgia. Two and four against Alabama, with Alabama coming to town here in uh less than two weeks, of course. And two and five against LSU after the loss earlier this season. Twenty-eight point six percent winning percentage. Not great. But Gus Malzahn has a massive contract. So you guys are going to want to know about his future. We're going to get into it. So without further ado, I'm just going to get into your questions, and I'm going to answer them the best of my ability through intel I've received from people, talking to people, knowing people, and also just injecting my own opinion in there. You may or may not like what you hear, but it's the truth. So we're going to start off by taking questions from our VIP subscribers at Auburn. 24-7 sports. Thank you so much, guys, for and gals, for 
submitting these questions. First up is Big Sexy for AU. He asks, you being an outsider, uh, I guess I'm an outsider. I've been here seven years. Uh, give me a reason to believe the offense will ever get back to the 2013-2014 way with Gus calling the offense. Uh, the only reason I can give you is there's only one way to go, and that's up. <laughs> because this offense has been downright dreadful against teams with winning uh, records. Uh, Auburn's averaging only 21 points per game against teams with winning records this season. That's six games, by the way. That's terrible. That's awful. You're not going to win a lot of games doing that, even with a defense as good as this one that Auburn has. And and, and I've said this for the entire season practically. It would be a shame if Auburn does not win nine games with this defense they have. And Auburn's teetering on the edge of not doing that. How can Auburn get back to being the level of 2013-2014? They've got to get a massive, dominating offensive line. They don't have that right now. Tiger Trainer 7 off the bottom, get a message board, asks, I know we're losing our offensive line next year, but do you think we might actually be better in the running game? Seems like this line just gets no push at all. Can't be worse, can it? Um... I, I think you're onto something there, Tiger Trainer. I don't like calling out players or anything like that. It's not my thing. It's, I mean, they're kids. Um, but the offensive line's been average to below average the last two seasons. Um, and it's part of the part, not all of it, part of the reason why Auburn's going to likely go two seasons without a 1,000 yard rusher after going 10 years straight with one. The offensive line just isn't a run-dominant offensive line, one that you can go out there and just strike the fear into other SEC opponents. They're just not. And Auburn hasn't quite had that to some level. 2017 a little bit, and I would even venture to say 2015 actually wasn't too bad at times, but definitely since 2014. I, I, I had people tell me that the 2014 offensive line at Auburn these are people in the program. The 2014 offensive line was actually better than the 2013 offensive line. Why is that? They were much more consistent, and they worked together better. Um, and Auburn's offense was amazing that season. It didn't lead the nation in rushing, but they were a little bit more balanced, and, and they scored more points against some high-quality opponents. Just look at the Iron Bowl that year. The problem was the defense that year. And now things are kind of flip-flopped. Isn't, isn't that weird? Um, but a lot of that had to do with the offensive line. Now, going to your question about can it can it get better next season? I, I don't know. And to be quite honest with you, the coaches don't know. No one knows. Here's the thing that I would be worried about, and then here's the thing that I would be happy about if I was an Auburn fan with the, the offensive line coming in. One, as you said, it can only get better, you would think. Though it could get worse. I mean, like I said, this is an average offensive line. It's not bad, it's average. The problem for me is that three of the junior college, they're, they're signing three junior college kids, right? Two of them are not going to be here for spring football, which is amazing to me. And if that's the case, that's going to slow down their, you know, whole implementation to the program. 
because Auburn's going to have to find four new starters. Nick Brahms is going to be the starter at center, most likely. And then they got to find starters everywhere else across the line, both tackle spots, both guard spots. Are they going to, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be better next season, just because no one knows. I mean, like you get, you like you're saying, Hey, it can't get worse. I mean, it could get worse. We don't know we don't know. And, and Auburn's been scrambling to recruit offensive linemen. That's why they're signing seven guys, you know, and all this stuff. Um, because of what's happened in the last three to four years in recruiting, Auburn's just fallen off the map with its offensive line recruiting. And and you're seeing the results here these these last two years. A lot of the reason why this off, offense is struggling the last two seasons is because of the offensive line recruiting. It started with J.B. Grimes's last season during his first tenure here, and Herb Hand absolutely just hit it over the head with a shovel while he was here. And then now J.B. Grimes has come back in, and he's had to try and mold all this, then also go on the road and start recruiting guys. And they've managed to get quite a few and some good players, apparently, from what I've been told. But you don't know until you know, you know? They're not, they're not here yet. Some of them aren't here yet. Obviously, guys like Keandre Jones, um, Julia Irvin are here. But you don't know until you get them out there playing. And listen, that's going to be the biggest question in the spring is the offensive line. That's what I'm going to be watching the most. I don't know about you guys. That's the most important thing. It's the most important thing right now for this team. That's why it's not doing so well. It's going to be the most important thing going in next season because if the offensive line is the same or worse next season, that's how the offense will go. It'll either be the same as it was this season or worse. And that's not a good thing because Auburn's defense is losing a lot of pieces. Okay, thanks for the question. Um, Icratic from the Body Get a Message Board asks, is Arkansas taking Gus off our hands, getting worked out right now? Uh, Icratic, I'm sorry to say no. That's not happening right now. Um, I haven't talked to any Arkansas folks since Saturday, actually right before the game. And I was actually talking to them about uh, Charles Moore, the uh, the the basketball player out of West Memphis, who a lot of people thought was going to Arkansas, and I put a crystal ball in. Uh, for Auburn, and I had a friend from Arkansas call me who's in the media, and we talked about that a little bit, and then I brought up football. Um, it seems things have kind of quieted down there. It's going to take them a few weeks because they're not going to be able to talk to any coaches they want to talk to till after the season. Um, so that's a developing thing in Arkansas. The best I could tell, I, the Arkansas fans – I don't think for the majority want him, want Gus. After what happened in 2017 when he turned him down, and then also what's happened the past two seasons at Auburn. So if Arkansas fans don't want him, do you think the boosters are going to want him? Are you going to get all the boosters on the same page? And also have to deal with, you're paying out Chad Morris all this money already, right? Like twenty million or something like that, right? Something like that, and then you're gonna have to pay Auburn upwards to seven million dollars plus a new contract. Uh, good luck selling that. Okay, KRS asks, "Who is the coach of Auburn football next season?" As of right now, I say it's gonna be Gus Malzahn. A.U. Higgy asks, 
How much has Marlon Davidson helped his draft stock this year? That's a good question. Um, I, I think he's helped it um, not necessarily quite a bit, but he's improved. Um, he's a guy that's going to go in the early rounds, if, if not you know, like third round range, maybe. Um, he's gotten some good, well, not he, but he's getting good feedback from you know some of the draft analysts and, of course, the scouts that have been on board. I mean, it's very obvious that the best defensive linemen on the field are Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson every every week. The best guy overall, though, is Derek Brown. Derek Brown played out of his mind Saturday against Georgia. I tweeted about it during the game. I, I, it, he's at a point now, and he has been this entire season, where on defense, like I'm only watching him sometimes because I just want to see how he how he destroys people. And he was destroying folks Saturday night. Um, Marlon Davidson, though, yes, he's improved. His draft stock. Tesla asks, why is Auburn afraid to make an unwavering and unrelenting commitment to winning in football? Okay. How do I how do I start this? Number one, they got a commitment to winning in football. They, they won a national championship in 2010. They went to another one in 2013. They've been to the SEC championship game three times in this past decade. Three of the ten years, Auburn's been in the SEC championship game. Only Alabama can say they've done that as well from the SEC West. LSU's about to break that trend, unless something crazy happens, this year by going. For the first time in, was it eight years? Longer than that, right? Anyway, what I'm saying is this. Maybe you're speaking specifically about facilities. Number one, they're about to build a, well, they're in the process of getting this off the ground, the, the 60 plus million dollar football facility that they're going to build, the Football Performance Center. As you guys know, there was a $10 million donation announced, the largest in school history for the athletics program. It was made or released on Saturday. Um, the largest in athletics history. What I'll say is this. There's a lot of factors that go into it. One, everybody's got to be on the same page. Boosters, president, power brokers, board of trustees, athletics director, right? Secondly, you have to implicitly trust the head coach of your football program. Let him run it, stay out of his way. And by that, I mean, not necessarily like, hey, the athletics director doesn't get in his way. No, I'm talking about boosters, People trying to bend his ear. People always trying to call him and ask him for information so they can get the inside track on stuff and everything. No, you need a guy who has full control of his program, runs it like a company, like a C, like he's a CEO, and does what he wants to do. Alabama's done that with Nick Saban. Clemson's done that with Dabo Sweeney. LSU's doing that with Ed Orgeron, believe it or not. That's going to be... that's. You want to talk about unwavering, unrelenting commitment? That's what you have to do. Now... Not to say any other way can't work, because it's worked at Auburn, and it's been working. But right now, Auburn's entering a space, especially as they build this new football performance center, and the football program is going to be housed all by itself on an island, literally, geographically, when they move into this building. you got to have a head coach you trust to run the program and do it his way, and you stay out of his way, and you give him whatever he wants to. Auburn started doing that in 2017. 
when Gus Malzahn got his seven-year, $49 million deal, then-President Stephen Leith gave Gus Malzahn pretty much autonomy. But the fans don't like that. A lot of the boosters don't like that. A year later, several high-profile people wanted to fire Gus Malzahn. Auburn went, Auburn, a lot of schools. I mean, it's not just Auburn, but it's so emotional. You react with emotion in the moment. Auburn beats number one Alabama and number one Georgia. Give that dude a $49 million contract with 75% of it guaranteed over the next seven years. One year later, oh no, Auburn's losing four games and including all their rivals. Fire that guy. Really? Did did either of those decisions, one giving him the seven-year deal or the idea of firing him a year or two later, even right now, make sense? Either going to stay committed to the coach or not. And so Auburn showed commitment to the coach, right or wrong. And that's the deal they've been dealt with Gus Malzahn. And you got to deal with it. Who's going to step up and pay $13.5 million to Gus Malzahn within 30 days of firing him. Who's going to do that? And then have to owe him another $13.5 million on top of that over the next four or five years if you fire him after this season. Anyone? I just told you that the largest athletics donation ever made was just made to Auburn, and it was $10 million. Has anybody got $13.5 million just sitting around to pay half of Gus Malzahn's buyout? For everybody, all the fans that want change, there are two ways to make change in football programs, and it's very simple. You either have a lot of money, and you sling it around, and that's how you show your power and get let your voice be heard, to make changes and to show the commitment. Or two, if you're every other fan and you don't have that type of money, you stop buying tickets and stop going to games. It is rather simple. Drunk Obby, we're going to Twitter now. In fact, before we go to Drunk Obby, let's take a commercial break. I'll be back. We're going to go to our Twitter questions, which there's a lot more coming up right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back. All right, Twitter questions. This one comes from Drunk Obby. Should we cancel the football team <laughs> to focus our fanhoods, fanhoods, on our other sports teams. Uh, no. You cancel football at Auburn, then you might as well cancel the rest of the sports because it's what drives revenue to everything and keeps those things afloat. You did that, you'd probably have two sports survive. Auburn Gamecock fan, who's, by the way, Twitter name says not say and then random numbers. So you didn't want to say what your name was or even what your username is. That's interesting. So... <laughs> Not, not only is Twitter anonymous, this person is super anonymous. <laughs> In your opinion, do most of the offensive problems fall on the offensive line? Yes, another, yeah, another repeated question. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with that. You have a def- dominant def- offensive line, a lot of things look better. I heard another thing I'm going to say. Quickly, because there's other questions about this later. I think Gus Malzahn's called some good plays this year. Amanda Lauren M. asks, how much time do you give Bo Nix to determine if he's really going to be a successful quarterback? Uh, All the time in the world right now because they don't have a viable backup. You put Court Sandberg out there, this team team has... No, you you don't want that. Um, You just can't do that. Uh, Auburn, listen. Unless Auburn just gets a surprise graduate transfer like Oklahoma does every year it seems like with Jalen Hurts and obviously Baker Mayfield when he came from Texas Tech right as when he was a former walk-off excuse me <clears throat> um Bo Nix is not going to be a bench next season um Bo Nix is the guy I'll say this I thought Bo Nix played well uh against Georgia 30 of 50 passing 245 yards which is weird. You attempt 50 passes, you only get 245 yards. It kind of shows you that Auburn was unable to protect him long enough to be able to do any pass plays deep down the field, though. They tried a couple, and they didn't work. Um, the problem with Knicks in that game was, in the big moments, he he misfired. And specifically, that, that throw to Harold Joyner, where he was completely open coming out of the backfield. And he threw behind him. And Joyner tried to wrap his body around to behind himself and got one hand on the ball and obviously couldn't catch it. If he puts that ball on the money, he's, it's not only a first down on a fourth and two, but it's probably a touchdown. And we're talking a little bit differently about that Georgia game. But it didn't happen. You, you think as he grows, I know everybody hates hearing that, that he'll improve. And he'll have to show it as a sophomore. I think he's improved. I mean, listen, the guy has not thrown an interception at home this season. He just hasn't. But he's fumbled, and he fumbled against Georgia again. So, and I think he still gets out of the pocket too too early sometimes. And it's hurt him. He's not a very good passer on the run. A lot of quarterbacks aren't, but he is not especially. If he's going to run out of the pocket, he better decide to run it up the field instead of trying to throw it. Because rarely does it work for him. That's just my opinion. I'm not a coach, but that's my opinion. 
Uh, Tina, AU Girl 41 asks a totally non football question. Fire Rick Nold? Don't think volleyball has won a single game this season. Uh, one, they're called matches, aren't they, right? Um, yeah, I wrote about this in Three Things I Know, Three Things I Think last week. Um, yeah, he's on very thin ice. And uh, we'll see what happens when the season ends in the next month or so. Um, I know they took a hit with some people leaving and whatever, but you can't go winless in the SEC, especially when you're as far along in his career as he is. What is this, like his 10th season? You know, I know we're not talking, a lot of people like to talk about volleyball, but it certainly looks like there might be a change there. Um, <clears throat> War Eagle One asks, do you think Gus hires an offensive corner at the end of the season? We're going on this boat again, huh? We're going to go on this voyage, this little cruise that we've been on again and again. All right, listen, Gus already has an offensive coordinator. His name's Kenny Dillingham. In name only. He's not calling plays. Gus is calling the plays. When he did bring in an OCs to call the plays, it was Rhett Lashley and Chip Lindsey, and they pretty much ran a version of Gus Malzahn's offense, and Gus still had total control. Gus is who he is. He's been pressured already, well before he had the security of this contract, by the way, to make changes. So if I'm him, and this just makes sense, if I'm told by the powers that be, after you have given me this commitment of seven years for $49 million with a 75% buyout, hey, it's time for you to relinquish play calling duties again after one year. Go hire an OC. I tell you to, to get lost. Pay me my money. If you want change, you're going to have to fire me. I, I don't. That's just not happening. I just don't see it happening where you go on. And to be quite honest, if it happens, it'll probably be a disaster because Gus cannot relinquish control of the offense. He's, he's proven that. It's like being with... <laughs> it's it's like thinking that your cat that likes to be outdoors all the time is just suddenly going to become a house cat, you know? Or, 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 or your, you know, little Ford Fiesta is suddenly going to be a Dodge Challenger in a race after losing to it six times before. Asking that question in a lot of ways, I'm not criticizing you, but just the idea that, hey, Auburn's just going to go get an OC and change things under Gus Malzahn is the very definition of insanity because they went through that already, remember? With Rhett Lashley and then Chip Lindsey, and now they're full circle back with Gus Malzahn and quote-unquote full control of the offense, which he's always kind of been, but now he's calling the plays every single play at least, unlike he has in the past when he had quote-unquote OCs. Jeremy Overby asks, why is the offense so lackluster? Why do they not use more of its weapons? Is the coach holding back the QB from doing more and developing more? If anything, they're allowing Bo Nix to do too much. Um, Bo Nix is in full control of that offense, a lot of RPOs. Um, that's why he was throwing the ball a lot. Um... Why not use more of its weapons? I thought Auburn actually tried to do that with J.J. Wilson, Harold Joyner, uh, Sal Canella, uh, Seth Williams, obviously, Anthony Schwartz. They've got to get a better offensive line. They just have to. Awesome Tigers asks, why are you so sure Gus survives 
losing to Tuilis, Alabama. Here we go with hypotheticals. Emotions are high. Oh, there we go. Exactly. Emotions are high, and people do unpredictable things where their college football teams are concerned. You're exactly right, Chris. When emotions get high, people do unpredictable things, like sign their coach to a seven-year, $49 million deal. Listen, anything could happen. I'm telling you that right now. I'm not, I know everybody asked. I said, as of right now, Gus Malzahn will be the coach next season. But what I'm telling you is that, take it from a business decision, sitting back right now. Auburn put itself in a terrible situation and bet, they put, they went all in. On Gus Malzahn. They pushed all the chips to the middle of the table after the 2017 season on Gus Malzahn. People who decided to do that, for the most part, are gone, or their voices have been fairly quieted since then. Uh, but that's the pickle Auburn's in right now. I don't see how intelligently they can make a change this season. As I mentioned earlier with the buyout. It's $27 million with $13.5 million up front within 30 days. The largest donation in Auburn Athletics history is $10 million, and it was just announced this week for the Football Performance Center. Where's the money going to come from? Now, some of you go, well, you just go on reserves and do it. Do you want to do that? Who are you going to hire? You better have a plan in place immediately. And don't give me this. Anybody else is better crap. Be CEO for a moment. Sit there and weigh this all down. Get your emotions out of it. You mentioned emotions. That's what got Auburn into this in the first place. A lot of contracts, not just Gus Malzahn, but contracts across college football are insane. They're so one-sided in favor of the coach and the agent. It's ridiculous. That bubble's going to pop at some point. And I think it's going to pop whenever the players and students, the players, start getting more power on their side with name and image and likeness and stuff. Because it's not going to be about the coaches anymore. It's actually going to be about the players. Uh, Jake, Justin? i just call you Justin. What was the atmosphere like in Jordan-Hare? I assume all other questions will be Gus-centric, and you have stated in the past that you believe he's going to be back. The atmosphere was great, just as you expected, especially in that fourth quarter. It got kind of quiet there in the third quarter. Um, Auburn fans hadn't seen something like that since really like 2012 because they there hadn't been blowouts at home. And Auburn was getting blown out 21 nothing. But then the Tigers fought back. It got quiet, then it, uh, it, it got going again. Uh, Jared... C61 asks, what is the worst quote this season? Quote, we are going to be champions. Uh, by the way, that happened after the loss at LSU, I think. Yeah, it was after the LSU loss when Auburn lost its second game of the year. Or was it the quote, the offense is a work in progress? Uh, Jared, I think it was definitely the offense is a work in progress because that speaks more to Gus Malzahn, the teacher and the coach and CEO than, say, trying to be a champion with your players and everything and, and making them believe in themselves. 
because that is a direct indictment on the coach himself and saying, I have he what he's saying without saying it is through ten games, our offense isn't what I want. And it's still a work in progress, and I don't know what to do. That's how you interpret that. Now he probably didn't mean to say that, and his ego would tell you that too. But you say that, there's no other way to interpret it other than I we're not I, I don't know what I'm doing right now with these guys. <laughs> and, and I'm gonna tell you, moving forward, they need to throw the ball more because they can't run it. They just can't. They cannot run it effectively. They gotta sling it around. Quick passes. Get Bo Nix into a rhythm. It's what happened against Georgia in the fourth quarter. It's what happened against Ole Miss. That's what they're gonna have to do. That's what the identity of these teams got to be. It it can't be run play action anymore. That's a quote that is said almost every week since Gus Malzahn was hired here at Auburn. We're a run-play-action team. No, you're not. Not this season. You're just not. You don't have the personnel for it, in my opinion. Hunter Martin asks, What did you have for dinner? And also, how is your family doing? Any big plans for the upcoming holidays? Trying to provide some positive content for the show. (laughs) I appreciate it. Uh, I had uh, chili for dinner. That's what I had. Uh, family's doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, the wife is, uh, uh, starting to get her little photography business off the ground. I want to say it's a business right now, but she's starting to do like holiday photos for people. And, uh, she's doing it for an organization that she helps lead, like taking donations for it to help out with, uh, this program she works with. So no money coming to her, but she was just doing it for experience, but also to start getting her name out there. So she's starting that little thing and I'm proud of her. Um, and big plans for the upcoming holidays. I got nothing, man. Uh, sometimes we might be doing it this year, but I don't know. I don't think a lot of the beat writers are staying in town. We usually host friends giving, uh, where we invite the beat writers over for Thanksgiving. If they're unable to, you know, cause a lot of the beat writers aren't from Alabama or from this area. So they travel or they can't travel because it's iron bowl week. So, Usually we'd have them over our house. I think we might do that this season, but from based off what I've been told, a lot of the beat writers are actually going to leave the state this year. Because last year we did not have Friendsgiving because we just had a little baby and it was going to be too much. But uh, we want to do it this year. Maybe we'll do it this year. Um, we got to figure that out actually this week. But I don't know if a lot of people would show up. Thanks for the question. Thanks for checking, Hunter, on me. I appreciate that. Okay, we're down the stretch here. There's two more questions, and these are long ones. Um, wow. These were sent via direct message on Twitter because they had a lot to say, I guess. So they more or less wanted their voices heard and then also questions answered. So here we go. Eric Fleming asks, all right, stick with me here. Do you think Gus will make a move this offseason to bring in help to modernize the offense? Like an LSU scenario where it's clearly obvious Joe Brady, who, by the way, is their passing game coordinator, has worked wonders for them. It seems painfully obvious this offense needs new life. Easier reads for Bo. A better running game. A passing game that can help spread the ball around and get it into playmakers' hands quicker. Gus's passing schemes seem elementary at times, 
but I'm not sure if he'll let someone come in and ran, ran, revamp it for him. Excuse me. Um, Eric, yeah, like, I, I guess, I, you know, I mentioned, I guess I talked a little bit about this earlier in the podcast. Gus is who he is. I don't see him drastically changing anything. In fact, if they were going to maybe try and – who's to say that that next person, like Joe Brady, that you mentioned LSU, who has revitalized that offense and redone some things to help – uh, Joe Burrow and make him into a Heisman Trophy winner. He's going to win the Heisman this year. Um, who's to say Cody Burns or offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham couldn't do that? And the reason why I say that is because they have not been given an opportunity to do that because it's Gus Malzahn's offense and he does what he wants to do. Those guys are not providing a lot of input that's actually implemented into the game plan. Some, some, some of it is, some, but they do not have Gus is not saying, hey, Cody, you're our passing game coordinator. Tell me what we need to do to improve our passing game and give me up some, draw me up some schemes that we can implement in this offense that'll fix everything. Gus isn't doing that. And I don't see how anybody convinces him to do that either. Unless he just, hey, listen, he might roll out of bed. Gus, I'm saying, he might roll out of bed one morning. It, it might not be the season, obviously, because the season's almost over. But he might roll out of bed and go, I got to change. Just like Alabama and LSU changed, where they're slinging the ball around, and they're like second and third in the nation in passing offense, maybe the game has passed Gus Malzahn by a little bit offensively. Because when Gus came in, he was all the rage. We all know that. But what he's doing right now is not working, one, because of the offensive line. But two, you have to wonder if maybe people have caught up with them. I, I don't know. Maybe it's personnel. Or maybe it is coaching. So I, I think it would take Gus Malzahn rolling out of bed and going, I got to change completely. I don't know if he's going to do that, though. You know, some coaches do that to survive. Ed Orgeron, um, he ex you have to experience failure to be willing to open up your eyes sometimes. And Ed Orgeron readily admits that. And he's done a magnificent job at LSU after being at Ole Miss with that disaster. He, 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 that is one hell of a career rebound he's, he's, he's had at LSU. And not just because of this season, but what he's done the past two years and building that program back up and, and tweaking things and then standing out of the way and allowing us the coaches to do everything. He kind of keeps everything kind of like, he's a lot, a lot like Nick Saban and some of these other coaches that are allowed to be CEOs. He just kind of, he builds like a big, think of it this way, a big gazebo, you know, Gets everybody in there. He's got everything nicely organized for each section of people to run that section, people to run this section, people to run that section. And he kind of just rotates through there and sees what they're doing and puts them on the right path. Then they close the flaps down on the gazebo. I know this makes no sense to you guys. And then no one can see inside, but they're working crazy, like a duck on the water. The feet are moving crazily, and you don't see it, but that's what's happening. And Ed Orgeron's the duck. And the feet are the coaches that he's helped put in place to move him there. That makes no sense, I know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm crazy. But I, Gus is who he is. I, I don't see him changing. Here's one thing I'll say, though. I mean, we all You all know this. Gus Malzahn wrote a book in high school, as a high school coach, where he his offense at the time was... We're just going to run a two-minute offense at all times without slowing down. Where's that? 
Why can't you do that? And that question was kind of asked after the game against Georgia to players because it was so obvious that things worked so much better in the fourth quarter with Bo Nix slinging around and working pace, or NASCAR as they call it. But as Seth Williams said, he said he doesn't think they're conditioned enough to be able to run that all game. He also thinks that defenses would adjust to it and just play certain things like prevent defense that would stop them. And you know what that sounded a lot like to me when I heard it? I mean, he's just a kid, obviously, and but he he's right. you got to be in great condition. It sounds a lot like what, what when Gus Malzahn first got into college coaching, it sounds a lot like the athletics director at Arkansas at the time, Frank Boyle, said to a meeting uh, of boosters in, in Texas, I believe, where he was talking about how the only way Gus Malzahn's offense would work is one um, – with a dual threat quarterback, but also too, there's no way you could be consistent with that type of offense by running so fast all the time. And, but that's when that offense is working at its best. And Gus has gotten away from that. We could sit here all day and discuss like, what are the answers? A lot of it's personnel. They've, they've got to have a better offensive line. And like I said, I think Gus has called some good stuff this year. But I'll tell you this. After a bye week, they did not, other than that opening drive, they they looked completely, I mean, Georgia completely adjusted after that first drive. And Auburn didn't have an answer for the rest of the game until Gus just said, sling it around, let's go, we got to go two-minute offense because we're down three touchdowns. All right, last question comes from Danny K. This is also a direct message, so it's long. Skipping ahead to the Alabama game, do you think we run more of those quick one-read pass plays on first and second down? They were efficient plays and simplified things for Bo. This was one thing I really appreciated Gus doing when the run game was inept. Um, they need to, and they have. I mean, they threw it 50 times um, against Georgia, obviously. They threw it quite a bit against Ole Miss in the game previous to this one. The The, the strength of Bo Nix is doing exactly what you saw against Georgia. But Auburn's got to be a little bit more aggressive with it. they got to stretch the field more with it. You can't dink and dunk, duck you know, every single play. you got to take shots. And to do that, you got to have an offensive line you trust to be able to do it against above average teams and Auburn's been unable to do that against above average teams LSU Florida Georgia can they do that against Alabama I don't know and when you say skipping ahead of the Alabama game you know Auburn hosts Sam for this week it's gonna be an easy win but you know with with the Alabama game I wonder about Alabama's psyche with Tua out for the year and Mac Jones being the obvious starting quarterback now. But how's that team react, you know, going into the Iron Bowl if they know, hey, we're not going to the SEC championship playoff might be it might be off the off the table right now. And just the emotion of losing a teammate like Tua. What's their mindset gonna be like going to that game? I don't know. Cause Alabama's defense has not been you know, scary good. It's been good, 
It's been above average. <laughs> but as I said, Auburn has struck, struggled against anything, anybody that's above average with their defense. So because Auburn's offensive line is just kind of average and it, that makes everything go with the offensive line. So anyway, um, yeah, I think they have to throw it more. And as I said, this idea that Auburn's forever going to be a run play action team, it's not this season. It isn't. And you, you can't force it now. You want to beat Alabama? You better throw the ball around. And you better mix it up throwing it around too. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thanks for listening to me ramble and answer your questions. We'll have a roundtable podcast later this week. Much more coverage at auburn.247sports.com. Make sure and subscribe to us as well at auburn.247sports.com. Give us a try. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, whatever device you have. And leave a five-star rating or a one-star rating if you really hate me. Or if you really love me, give me that five-star. Anyway, thank you so much. I'm Brandon Marcello. I'll see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go undercover with Auburn Undercover. Undercover.